Hi, I'm Pastor Brady, and welcome to week five of our eight-week series called Upside Down, where we're taking a deep dive into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. This time, we're continuing our look at the largest section in the Sermon on the Mount called the Six Antitheses. Got a thumbs up. All right, let's go ahead and rock and roll this thing. So, again, I just want to say, hey, it's good to just be with you here tonight. It's, uh, I really just appreciate these nights to be here with you. So, glad you're here with us. And tonight, tonight marks week five of our lesson series, Upside Down, where we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And so this is an eight-week series, and so we just passed the halfway mark. We're starting the second half as we are diving deep into Matthew chapters 5 through 7 where the greatest sermon ever preached is found, the Sermon on the Mount. And so as we've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount, we're keeping a focus on the closing words that Jesus had to this sermon whenever he said this. This is Matthew 7, verse 24. He says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So with this in mind, what particular teaching did we talk about last week? What did we talk about last week? Now, I am going to call on Aiden for this one. Aiden, you said it right on the money. We started talking about the six antitheses. That's a fun word. The six antitheses. And the, uh, the whole thing about the six antitheses that we saw. So we only covered the first two of the six. But we saw Jesus, he kind of had this pattern that he was using throughout these six antitheses. Does anyone know what that pattern or phrase was? Dunkaroo. Taylor, you may have heard this, but I said... That is right on the money. Right on the money. We see this used kind of over and over where he starts off by saying, You have heard this. Your ancestors have told you this, but I say... And so what Jesus is doing as he's telling those on the mountainside and what he's telling us today is that these important commandments that we find in the Old Testament, such as some of the Ten Commandments, you don't quite have the full story. Like, you know kind of what it means, like the very basic meaning, but there's so much more to them. And so Jesus, he was all about expanding our understanding. And uh, for these two uh, antitheses we looked at last week, what were the two commandments he was looking to expand our thinking on? Swoby. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. That is exactly right. And so he's looking to expand our understanding of those two, uh, of those two uh, commandments. And so right now what we're going to do tonight is we're going to be tackling two more of our six antitheses. And just for time's sake... We're actually going to be skipping over the middle two, and we're just going to be jumping to the final two, so number five and six. So on your own time, on your own reading, maybe in your small group, take some time to just read into three and four. But just for time's sake, we're going to be diving into five and six. And so with that being said, let's take a look at antithesis number five, looking at Matthew chapter five, verse 38. And Jesus tells us this. You have heard the law that says, the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. 
But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Hmm. An eye for an eye. What does this phrase mean? An eye for an eye or tooth for tooth. What does that mean? Jackson? Yeah, if, if they take something from you, take the same thing back. Yeah, it's pretty much just like whatever they do to you, you can do the same thing back to them. And so what's interesting is we see that this concept, this was a key part of the Jewish justice system. Say that five times fast. Don't actually say it. But the Jewish justice system, that was like the key part of it. So they're sitting on the mountainside. They would have abided by this eye for eye, tooth for tooth concept. And so let me ask you all, what is a justice system? Or let me ask you this instead. What is a modern day example of a justice system? Taryn? Yeah. And what kind of determines whether something is a crime or not? We have like our laws. And one of like the main ways that we kind of think of it is like our, our U.S. Constitution. It's like one of our main ways it tells us what our rights are as people, as individuals. It's our main way of justice, how we operate our justice system. It's based on the U.S. Constitution. And so for the Jews listening on that mountainside, what would their justice system have been? Does anyone know? What would it have been? Any ideas? Let's go Luke. Luke, what do you think? So that's, that's definitely part of it, but I'm looking for like a, a specific, like, probably like a body of words that was kind of like defined what their justice system was all about, like how they operated, what they were supposed to do, how they were supposed to do it. Let's go, let's go Grant. Ten Commandments, that was, that was a part of it. The Ten Commandments were a part of it. A part of this grander, it, the Torah. Man, you're even whipping out the big words. But yes. The Torah. And so, who knows what the Torah is? Miriam? It's part of the Old Testament, but it's a very specific part of the Old Testament. No, Nadine? It's the first five books. Yeah, yeah. It's, and what are the first five books? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So these five books, that was not in unison at all. We've got to work on that. But those first five books, they were written by Moses... And in them contained the law. The law. That's what it was referred to. So you'll see all throughout Scripture, after the Torah, the first five books, you'll see something referred to as the law, even in the New Testament. And so in the Torah, there are 613 different laws that the Jewish community was to follow. That was their justice system. And so it included the Ten Commandments in that. And so they would have followed these 613 different rules. That was like their way of life, their justice system. And what's interesting, at least I, mean, I thought it was interesting, it was fascinating, is that throughout the entirety of the Torah, we see three different examples of this eye for eye, you know, tooth for tooth, this mentality being mentioned. So I want to read these for you because whenever we see something being repeated, multiple times, usually means it's pretty important. So let's read this first one. So the Jews, they would have first heard this concept back in Exodus 21, where it said this, Now suppose two men are fighting, and in the process they accidentally strike 
a pregnant woman that causes her to have a miscarriage. If no further injury results, the man who struck the woman must pay the amount of compensation the woman's husband demands and that the judges approve. But if there is further injury, the punishment must match the injury. That means a life for life, an eye for eye, a tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for a bruise. Interesting. Well, a little bit later on, Leviticus, we see another example. Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person, they must be paid back in kind. Last one. Deuteronomy 19.21 You must show no pity for the guilty. Your rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Okay, wow, like we get the point. But again, the reason I wanted to like read all three of these is for something like this to appear on three different occasions throughout the Torah, that would have meant that those Jews listening on the mountainside, like this would have been so important for them to follow. Like this would have been so crucial to their lives. And so the question we should be asking ourselves right now is, why is Jesus working to drastically flip this line of thinking upside down? Because Jesus is telling us, do not resist an evil person and to offer the other cheek also. And so what's interesting is as we look at this compared to the two uh, antitheses we looked at last week, for this one in particular, we see that you know, the two last week, Jesus was just trying to kind of expand our like, knowledge of them, just expand our thinking. Like what he taught was in the same line of those commandments. But here we see Jesus is almost saying, no, don't listen to these old laws anymore. Because what it seems like Jesus is saying right here is these laws that we find in the Torah they were meant for that specific period of time. But what Jesus is saying now, that I'm here, there's a new law that you're going to listen to. There's a new law that you're to follow. And so once again, this is an example of Jesus showing his authority. And just a fun fact, does anyone know, whenever we see New Testament, there's actually a, a different name for it. It's not just New Testament, but there's also another word. It's New blank. We talked about this a few years ago, actually. I'd be surprised if someone can remember it, but it was new blank. Does anyone happen to know what it would have been referred to? Because the Old Testament, there's a different word for that, too. It's old blank and new blank, but it's not testament. Anyone have any idea? It's covenant. It's the old covenant, the old law, and then the new covenant. That's what the New Testament is all about. And so this is kind of this new covenant, new law that Jesus is introducing us to. But again, why is Jesus in his authority giving us this new commandment in this new covenant? Why is he telling us to not resist an evil person and offer the other cheek? That seems kind of weird. So why is he telling us this? Is Jesus saying that if someone is doing something clearly wrong and evil, is Jesus saying that we're just kind of supposed to like, go limp and just watch that happen? 
No. Very clearly, no. That is not correct at all. You see, throughout these six antitheses, what Jesus is doing is he's challenging us to flip our understanding of what we think we know to instead say, there's a new standard that I want you to live by. Like last week as we talked about, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, Jesus is saying, there's a new standard I want you to live by. Because yes, of course, I don't want you to do those things, but I don't even want you to get angry. I don't even want you to lust. There's a new standard that you are to live by. And that's what we see Jesus is doing right here. He is saying there is a new standard that you are to live by. And this new standard is what I'd like to call the Jesus Creed. The Jesus Creed. What is the Jesus Creed? Well, it can be summarized by two simple commandments. The two commandments that Jesus said are the most important of all. And what are those two commandments? Nadine? Love God, love others. Exactly. That is right on. That is the Jesus Creed. Love God and love others. And so when we look at this antithesis, where Jesus is calling us to turn the other cheek, this is what that means for us. Jesus is saying, if you are shaped by the Jesus Creed, by loving God and loving others, that means you're going to love someone even if they are dishing out injustices. You're going to love them even then. If you're shaped by the Jesus Creed, you are going to respond to injustice not with retaliation, not with vengeance, but instead you're going to respond with abundant grace, abundant compassion, and abundant mercy. And it's done so in such a way that reverses that injustice in the first place. That's what the Jesus Creed does. And you can think of it like this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you've ever heard that name? He's a fascinating guy. He was a German citizen during World War II. He was this great theologian, studier of the Bible. And during World War II, as a German citizen, he would have seen some great injustices committed. And this was his response. How do we respond to such evil? It's really profound. He says, Evil will become powerless when it finds no opposing object, when it finds no resistance. But instead, when evil finds one that is willingly born and suffered, it meets an opponent for which it is not a match. Man, that's deep. You just got to read that one, two, three, maybe four times to really understand what that means. And so, how can we live out this new commandment of turning the other cheek? How can we live out the Jesus Creed in such a way that stands against evil? Well, to answer that, I want to refer to one of the Beatitudes that we talked about. If you remember, way back in week two of this series, we looked at the Beatitudes. And Beatitude number seven summarizes perfectly what it means to live this out. Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And so in the sight of injustice, we're called to be peacemakers. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to live out this Jesus creed of loving God and loving others in such a way that people are going to be able to tell that you are a child of God because you respond in such a manner of peace. And so to kind of give you an example of what this looks like in like a real life, like modern day example, I want to tell you this story. This is just one of the coolest stories 
that I've heard in recent memory. This happened about 15 years ago in Queensland, Australia. There was an 18-year-old named Jared McKenna. And Jared, he was starting his first year of college. It was his first semester, just started college studying in Queensland. And so to get to his university, he had to take the train and he would uh, have to kind of like walk to get around anywhere. And so one evening, he had just gotten off the train. And so whenever he exited the train, he then had to go uh, leave the train station. And he walked on this like overpass that went above like the, the train tracks where the train was coming from. And so he was kind of walking above where like the, the railroad tracks would have been. And as he's walking, he explained that he was kind of in one of those, like, as he defined it, an ADD-like dream state. Like, you know when you're just, like, really zoned out, like you're really pondering on something and you just don't have no idea what's happening around you? Like, that's what he was kind of defined it as. And what he was thinking about was what he had been studying and reading on that train ride. Interestingly enough, he was reading the words of Martin Luther King Jr., talking about Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 which says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say. And so he was just pondering that. And as he's kind of walking in this like daze, not really sure of his surroundings, all of a sudden, Grant, can you come up here for a second? So Jared McKenna, he's about five foot seven, which is about my height. And as he's walking, all of a sudden, this towering, tall man comes up to him and in a gruff voice, and I want you to just give it, you got to really sell it onto me here. You just got to scream, give me your money. So I'm just walking around. Well, do I bump into you? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, okay, you got to. Okay. Like, give me your money! Are you going to have a seat? <laughs> that was good. I was terrified. I'm terrified right now. But that's essentially what happened. And so he's, like, just totally, like, zoned out. And all of a sudden, this towering guy just bumps into him, screaming, give me your money, give me your money. And so he kind of like quickly snaps out of it, and he's like in that panic state, like, okay, what am I supposed to do right now? And so he's like, do I try and run? Do I try and fight this guy? Neither are going to work out well for me. And so he's just panicking, and all of a sudden, those words of Martin Luther King Jr. and those words of Jesus start ringing in his mind. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I say. And so what does he do? Well... And is not really thinking clearly. He reaches out his hand and says, Hi, I'm Jared. He didn't have money in his hand, not his wallet, just an open hand. And he says, Hi, I'm Jared. And the guy, he's stunned. He's like, What is this guy doing? I'm trying to rob him. And he just shakes my hand. And so what he simply does in response is he just says, James. He's like, No, 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 I'm Jared. I'm James. He introduces himself. And so it's the most awkward introduction ever. <laughs> and so as he's shaking this guy's hand named James, as he's just met, he starts to notice all up his arm, there is just this scarring like a pincushion, And there's bruising that goes all up. And if you've seen that before, he's a drug addict, severe drug addict. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and the other way he worded it, I think it was, it was just hilarious the way he worded it. He's like, as the adrenaline wore down, the smell hit me like a truck. A mix of stale urine, body odor, and cigarettes just poured out from James. And so as he's standing on this overpass, 
all of a sudden, James just starts to apologize. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, I've been trying to really get my life together. Like, I've even, like, was in, like, a drug rehabilitation program. But then my mom kicked me out. And I've been back living on the streets. And I just turned back to the drugs. I'm sorry. And so Jared, the guy who was getting robbed, he simply says, man, if you need a place to stay, come stay with me. If you need a meal, come to my house right now. That's where I'm heading. If you need a shower, you can use that too. And so as he's offering this invitation to this man, all of a sudden, this woman starts running uh, from this other side of the bridge and she just screams at James, the guy who was trying to rob, and says, we gotta go. And she's holding a purse that clearly is not hers. And she starts booking it the other way. And so quickly before James starts chasing after her, Jerry quickly says, hold up, before you go, he grabs a Bible from his bag and he says, this has my name and contact information. If you ever want to take me up on that offer, just call. So he gives it to him. And as he hands him that Bible, this gruff, huge guy just breaks down in tears. I'm not talking like a little small tear, like waterworks flowing, snot just flowing out of his nose. Like he is just breaking down. Because he has never seen a love like this before. So he grabs the Bible and he starts to run, but before he goes out of eyesight, he quickly turns around, shakes the Bible, gives him a head nod, and he books it. Now Jared said he's never seen James again, but I can tell you, for the first time in maybe his entire life, James saw the love of God in the most powerful way that I think anyone can ever see. Because it's right there in the face of injustice that the love of God was shown so powerfully. It's just amazing. It's an awesome story. It's the Jesus Creed in action. It's loving God and loving others. And so as you sit here and think, man, you're not maybe going to get robbed by someone. I hope you're not going to try and get robbed by someone. But just think, as you're on the basketball court, on the soccer field, <laughs> and you're starting to get into it with that one guy who's been man-to-man, -man, you know, defense on you that entire time, and you're starting to, like, really get annoyed with him because he's sticking to you like glue. Like, in that moment, how can you live out the Jesus creed? When someone's just getting on your last nerve, probably a sibling, how can you live out the Jesus creed? How can you show love in signs of injustice, and in times whenever someone does you wrong, how can you show them love? Because it's times like that, there's no better way for you to show the love of Jesus right there. So that's the first antithesis I want to talk about tonight. That's the first one that Jesus challenges, with, challenges us with. And the second one is pretty similar. Because our sixth and final antithesis we want to talk about, it goes like this. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is our final antithesis that we're going to be breaking down. And this one is actually the most unique of the six, at least in my mind. Because here, as Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, 
for the first time, he's not actually quoting a specific commandment from the Old Testament. It's pretty interesting. He's not quoting a specific commandment uh, from Scripture compared to the other five. Rather, what Jesus is quoting is the misinterpretation of a commandment given that over hundreds and hundreds and maybe a couple thousands of years since Moses would have given this commandment to the Jewish uh, community, they completely messed it up. And so Jesus is saying, no, you have got it all wrong. You have been hearing this, but this is what you got to be doing. And so this is kind of like where they kind of screwed this up from, because uh, they initially kind of got this concept from Leviticus 19, verse 18, where it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Thus says the Lord, I am the Lord. And so we kind of get that first part, right? Like where it says, love your neighbor, right on. But it never says anything about hating your enemy. And so what's interesting is we have looked like this is just a mentality of hating your enemy that has just always been a part of human culture. Like, let me give you a, an example. Uh, at, the, at, the recent, at the recent Waynesboro uh, versus Greencastle football game, they had to have security keeping Waynesboro students from getting to the Greencastle side and Greencastle students getting to the Waynesboro side. Why? It's just a football game? Like, it's just two schools against one another? Like, there are Greencastle students here, there are Waynesboro students here, and we don't have security. So, why, why would they need to do that? Well, it's pretty simple. Because we fell right into that idea of, if you are not my neighbor, if you're not on my side, you're my enemy. I don't care about knowing you personally, just because you wear a W and I wear a GA, you're my enemy. It was as simple as that. And this is a concept that we've always had. And that's how the world has always taught us to respond, to be judgmental, to be on guard, to be untrusting of those around you that you may not know. That's what the world has taught us. And maybe it's someone from a different country or culture than us. Maybe it's someone who believes differently than us. Maybe it's someone who looks or sounds or speaks differently. We've always been taught by the world to think of them as an enemy. We think poorly of them. We talk poorly about them behind their back. And if we're so bold, we may even talk poorly right in front of their face to them. And sadly, that's just how it's always been. So what Jesus is doing here, even going back to those 2,000 years on that mountainside, when this would have been a problem for those Jews listening right then and there, Jesus is trying to flip that mentality upside down. Because if we are truly going to live out the Jesus creed of loving God and loving others fully, that means that we need to fully buy into Jesus' words right here. Uh, listen to this. This is Matthew 5, verse 44, where he says, But I tell you, love your enemies. And do what? Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for them. And why is it so important to do that? Well, one, I mean, Jesus told us to do it, so that makes it pretty important. 
But he explains it further in these upcoming verses. Picking up at verse uh, 46 here. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Like the people who the Jews would have looked the lowliest upon, the tax collectors, the sinners, don't even they love those who love them? And if you greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, what Jesus is trying to say is that all people, even those who are not followers of Jesus, those who are not Christians, they love their neighbor. They love those who love them back. That's simple human nature to do. But again, think about the impact that it will make when someone who views you, perhaps you as a follower of Jesus, if someone looks at you and says, you're probably my enemy, aren't you? Because you're a follower of Jesus. And instead, you respond to them in that Jesus Creed way, where you are showing them love like no other, where you are praying for them so passionately. <laughs> they might start to think a little bit differently. They'd be like, wow, huh, I didn't think you were like that. I thought you were my enemy. So I want to tell you one more story as I conclude our lesson here tonight. And I think it's just a very practical example of what I think it means to show love to someone who might view you as their enemy. So again, this happened a, a few years ago, and uh, it's a pretty fascinating story. So it's a college professor, and he's, uh, he's at a Christian Bible college. He's a professor at a Christian Bible college, and he started meeting with a young freshman student at one of the local coffee shops on campus. And they would do this maybe like once a month, sometimes twice a month, but they would just meet, talk about life, talk about what they're studying, you know, and just get to know each other better. And they grew closer together, and they became friends. And so they started this whenever, you know, he was just a young freshman, and they did this all throughout his four years. But it was after three and a half years, this student was entering his, uh, his final semester as a senior. You know, he's getting ready to graduate, move on to the next step of his life. And it was at that time that the student, he came into the professor's office, which was a little weird because typically they would meet in like the coffee shop. But the student came to the professor's office and he, he told him this. He said, I read your recent blog post. You know, professors have a lot of time. They like to share their thoughts. Wrote a blog. And on his recent blog post, he says, I read it and I read your blog post about homosexuality. There was a long pause. The professor responded, what'd you think? And the student simply said, I'm a homosexual. And after another long pause, the student then asked the professor, can we still be friends though? Can we still be friends? Because in the mind of that student, he's thinking, simply because I'm a homosexual, you're my enemy. That's what's going on in his mind. And so the professor, he says, with the most endearing smile, he says, of course we can be friends. Of course. And so the student, he went on to share about 
why he thought of himself as a homosexual. And multiple times as he's sharing his life story, he would often pause and say, but we can still be friends, right? Like, we can still be friends. Yes, of course, we can be friends. You're my neighbor. He told him time and time and time again. And so they would continue to meet for the rest of that semester. And at graduation, they saw each other one final time. They gave each other a hug. And the student said to the professor, thank you. You were truly a friend to me. Thank you. That's how we want to live out the Jesus Creed right there. We want to be someone who can be a friend to all people, even whenever they know that you might not agree with them on everything, that you might have different views than them. It's still letting them know, I love you. I am your neighbor. I am your friend. That's what living the Jesus Creed means. And so we're going to love our enemies. We're going to pray for our enemies. And we are going to be peacemakers. That's our goal. That's the lesson that we want to live out this week. And that's how we're going to live out the Jesus Creed. So let's do it. And let's pray. And then I'll get you guys into your small groups and talk about this a little bit more. Heavenly Father, Lord, I often think how we were your greatest enemy. We were sinners, unclean, undeserving sinners, and yet you sent your Son to die for us because of your amazing love. Thank you. Lord, it's my prayer that each of us in this room, that we can take from your example, and we can go out, and we can show that same love to others so passionately, whether it's someone who might view us as an enemy, whether it's someone who might be doing a wrong and injustice, may we just be able to show them love and show them peace and kindness in such a way that it flips all upside down. Thank you for your example. May we take this lesson to heart and live it out strongly. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to tonight's lesson. As always, you can go back and listen to any previous lessons that you might have missed. Also, if you want to stay up to date with what is happening in the Five Forks Student Ministries, we encourage you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can find us under Five Forks Students. Or you can check out our website, ffbic.org students.